Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast. My name is Louis Cameron, coming to you after a hectic day three of the SCG test. Well, Johnny Bairstow gave England their greatest moment of this tour so far, bringing up a century in the final over of the day off Pat Cummins, who'd earlier left him with a badly injured thumb. Ben Stokes also played through a side injury in his best knock of the series so far, rescuing England after they lost three for none off 53 balls in a strangling pre-lunch period from the Aussies. A short time ago, I spoke to Ricky Ponting to get his thoughts on the action. I'm here with Ricky Ponting after day three of the SCG test. And Ricky, it was a pretty crazy day, uh, really. Maybe let's go back to the start when England had a ridiculous collapse before lunch. Uh, Australia bowled 53 balls and didn't concede a run. Uh, and they also got three wickets over that period. Was it, um, I, I mean, it was remarkable to watch. Was it good bowling or bad batting? Oh, look, I think you've got to give credit where credit's due. I think there was some good bowling there. Um, but I think what's happened right through the series, and both teams have been a bit guilty of it as well, is when the when the scoreboards tended to slow down or, or as it did with England today, completely shut down, that's when they've looked most vulnerable and lost wickets. Um, you know, there have been a couple of times in the in in this series with the Australians as well, when Broad in Melbourne was able to put a good spell. Uh, sorry, Anderson in Melbourne was... Uh, I would put a good spell together and shut the scoreboard down. And then the, the wickets tend, tend to tumble on the back of that. And I think that it becomes a real mindset thing. You know, when you're wholly and solely thinking about, um, you know, defending and, and getting through and, and not wanting to lose your wicket, then that's when you tend to lose your wicket anyway. And, you know, no surprise today when England have looked at their absolute best is when, you know, Bairstow and Stokes got together and almost looked like they decided to say, well, hang on, we're not, we just can't sit back here and wait. We've got to, play a few shots and put some pressure on. And, um, you know, Stokes started it and Bairstow, the back half of the, of the afternoon has been outstanding. Well, I was going to, um, I was going to leave that for later in the, in the chat, but let's go, let's go straight to it because it was, um, it really was a, a pretty great fight back, especially considering the guys you're talking about both look like they were pretty hurt um, the whole way through. Maybe let's start with Ben Stokes. You suggested earlier in the ashes that he might've been too defensive um, the way he was going. Did, did his side injury today almost mean that he couldn't, bat in that defensive way anymore? Yeah, probably a bit. I mean, the fact that he was injured probably meant that we, he probably should have played more defensively, really, like because he was probably a bit in, more inhibited than he has been in the rest of the series. So I don't know if it was if it was that or he's just thinking, well, you know, if I'm out here and they're going to come at me, then I might as well fight fire with fire. Um, and, you know, it was, it was the last test, I think, on the start of the Melbourne test where I, I said that they needed him to sort of puff his chest out and be that, you know, the, the, the tall, imposing, um, threatening sort of figure he is at the crease. Because I think we can see when he does play like that, like today, he is very, very good. But, you know, when he goes back into his shell and just tries to defend and, and play situations in games probably differently than, than his instincts allow him to, then he just becomes the same as anybody else. So, yeah, he was the one that, he was the one that definitely started it today. And, um, and, and Johnny was able to sort of get on the back of that and feed off some of that. Because you think about it, I mean, one's... You know, Ben's a 
well and truly entrenched player in the England team, and, and Johnny's not. So, it, you know, it, it makes it easier for someone like Stokes that's comfortable in his skin and comfortable in his spot in the team to, to play that way. But when you're back in the side and, and, try and, and struggling to keep yourself in there, it's another thing then to throw caution to the wind and play like Bairstow did. So, yeah, gutsy from both of them. More, you know, physically, you know, for, for Stokes, more probably gutsy and courageous than it was a mental, more of a mental, um, more mental courage from Bairstow to, mm. to stand up and, and just say, okay, I'm going to fight fire with fire and let's see how we go. Can it harden your mind almost a little bit in that all the external things that you worry about, especially well, in both of their cases, I suppose, because they've both been under pressure in this series, that that injury can kind of almost sharpen your focus a little bit? Yeah, it, yeah, it probably can. I mean, as I say, with, with, with Stokes, I mean, it's uh, as I said, then it's more a, a phys- physically courageous type thing. But on the, on the side of that, when you're, when you're under that much, in that much pain as well, it does become a mental battle for you as well because you know – every time you move or every time you try and go for a, an aggressive shot, it's probably going to hurt. So, you know, that can start wearing you down as well. That, you know, the ball on ball, um, minute after minute, sort of shot after shot pain that he would have been going through, that, that can start to wear you down. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, there's a state, there's a saying in the game forever, isn't it? But, you know, beware the wounded batter. And we probably saw that a couple of times today where maybe it does just free your mind up and, and actually, you know, give you less things to think about and, um, and away they both went, even with even after Bears, they got a hit on the thumb. I mean, those injury when you get a, a hit like that directly on the thumb on the bottom hand, it's, it's very rare that you don't come away with some sort of break or fracture. So if he has fractured that, um, and it, remember he's a keeper as well, so he's probably had a few, a few fractures and breaks in his fingers and thumbs through his career. If he's got through, you know, for most of his innings this afternoon with, with, a, with a fracture or a break, then it's, it makes his innings even better. Well, I saw on the telecast I had uh, Ollie Pope warming up with the gloves, so I'm not sure what that means in terms of both Bairstow's thumb injury and, and maybe Josh Butler was carrying something in that first uh, that first innings. Just on Bairstow, I mean, is that the, the kind of performance that – I mean, it was, it, was, it was basically the best moment of the tour, him bringing up the 100 in the um, – just before stumps there. Is that the kind of performance that can almost inspire you as a as an England teammate if you're watching on? Oh, look, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Because there's there's probably well most of their batsmen going into this game, with the exception of Root. I mean, and Milan probably found himself back in the same situation. Although he played well in Brisbane and and then in Adelaide, uh, he two failures in Melbourne and then obviously failure in the coming will end up being a failure in the first innings here. Um, most of them would have been going with a very similar mindset, and that was a, almost quite a a scared sort of uh, fear of failure type m- mindset. And, you know, for Johnny, he would have started that day, that innings today in the same manner. But once he got in, it was like, okay, I'm in now. Now I can expand and work myself through the gears like good test batsmen do. You know, they give themselves the first 10 or 15, 20 balls to get in. They get used to the pace and bounce. And then, as you hear me say forever, try and find a way to put some pressure back on the bowlers. And, um, and by playing a few shots all of a sudden you start getting more and more bad balls and batting starts to become easy. But if you sit back against the best bowlers in the world, um, it's only a matter of time before they get you out. Uh, and, you know, we've said forever, and the, good, the really good teams that I played in, you know, we said forever that you have to take more risks, show more intent against the best bowlers in the world, more so than the part-timers. And 
um, because you have to find a way to get them off what they do. Otherwise, they just don't make those mistakes. So I think both I think both Stokes and, and Bears, they did that well today. And there could be a flow-over effect. I mean, look at even even with Mark Wood coming out batting the way he did. You know, there's the people can take little snippets and bits and pieces away from what just – it only takes one person in the team. And um, to be able to set that example and show what can be done. And that's where I thought it was so important at the start of the tour that Stokes showed that when it was so evident that the top order batsmen were struggling and were going to struggle. I think they needed Stokes then to be the man that, that actually stood up, played his natural game and put something back on. And then the rest of the guys might've been able to, to, to feed off that. Well, it could have almost been a case that the preparation that he had and the, almost the, the last minute decision he made to come over here, could that have been the reason behind potentially, you know, uh, his slow start to the series? Yeah, maybe, maybe that, maybe the situation that he found himself batting in as well. You know, they lost early wickets every time that he got, he went out to bat. He's batting at number five. You know, we said earlier in the in this, the, the the series, maybe it might have been easier for him to go out and play his natural game if he was batting at number six. Who, who knows? But that was the decision they made for him to bat at five. And there's no doubt that he's in their top five batters. I mean, they don't need to slide him down the order. He's he's probably their second best batsman in, in, in that in that lineup. Um, yeah, maybe a bit to do the preparation, but then you look at look at Uzi. I mean, Uzi hadn't played a game, as you say, one first class game, and goes out to play the way that he plays. So, you know, a lot of the time, the, the skill the skill doesn't go anywhere. It's it's just how your your mental approach to it and what you're willing, how much you're willing to test yourself. And you know, there's no doubt that most of the England players were underdone going into the series, but there weren't too many Australian guys that went into the series with any much red ball cricket under their belts either. And the Aussie guys just seem to adapt and I, I know we always adapt to our conditions better but it was more the mindset and the way that they played that I think um, was the difference from at the, from Brisbane right through until now. I want to go back to some of the Aussie bowlers and particularly Scott Boland uh, in that first session I think at, at one point he'd had more wickets he took more wickets and it kind of eight over spell taking in the MCG test and this one um, than he'd considered runs, which is, um, I, I mean, it just seems un- it just seems unplayable at, at certain times. What do you put it down to? Is it the different trajectory he's got? Uh, yeah, look, he is a bit, he is a bit different, isn't he? He's a bit, um, you know, he's a bit lower, skittier than what you would say, you know, certainly than Cummins and 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 Greener. Um, he he sort of creates different angles. We look at the way that he bowls. He bowls with quite a front-on sort of action, doesn't he? So the the it always feels like the ball's sort of going to be coming back into you and he still has the ability to be able to get one just to, to go away and leave the right hand or two. Um, but I think it is that that skiddy sort of challenging the stumps sort of length that um, he's continually making the batsman um, make decisions and answer questions, you know, whether it's playing and lead because he's challenging the stumps so much and it's hard to leave, it's harder to leave him on length than it is some of the other guys. So that's one thing that you've got to take out straight away. As a batsman, if he's challenging that, third and fourth stump, um, his margin for error on length to hit the stumps is probably slightly more than some of the other bouncier bowlers. So that's something you've got to keep in the back of your head as a batsman. I mean, it's, you know, can't give Joe, Joe Root too many excuses for the shot that, that mm. he played today to get out to, to Scotty. But the ball that the bowled and bowled to Crawley, they're the sort of balls that you just know that he... And, and as I say, with his angles and his seam presentation... That would always be, to me, look like his standard ball, one that sort of just angles back in, hits the seam and then darts back in even further. And you can see with that that length there was a, sort of a, a drive on the up sort of length, but it's still hitting the stumps. If Cummins hits that length, it probably bounces over the stumps. So he's he's, mar- he's just – the conditions that – and it has to be said, I, it's probably some of the tougher batting conditions that I've seen in an Australian series in a long time. Um, 
you think back to Brisbane probably being a bowl first wicket. You don't say that very often at the Gabba. Um, you know, Adelaide's offered something all the time within these pink ball games. The MCG, none of us have seen an MCG wicket play like that, certainly in the last 20 or 30 years. And then and then this one in Sydney is offered, you know, everything sideways and, and some steep upward bounce, which, you know, has made it really difficult for batsmen to get settled on. As a pretty average fast bowler, I've loved watching it. Do you, I mean, is it something that we should look to continue? Should we always try and produce pitches like this for, for test summers? Um, I mean, it ends to it ends up being more entertaining cricket. There's no doubt about that. I mean, everyone. I mean, there was always this suggestion, wasn't there, that crowds love to go and turn up and see heaps of runs being scored. But I'm not. That's not. That's not necessarily the case. I think crowds want to see a really good contest between bat and ball. And I think you know, for a, a lot of years there, and probably even some of the years that I played Test cricket in Australia, the, the wickets probably were a little bit too much in favour of the batters, and and we're always waiting to day four and day five for the the real deterioration to come and the foot marks and the cracks and the uneven bounce to come um, before we got much variation. But the variation's been in these wickets from day from the first ball right and through the, to the end of every single game that we've that we've seen. So, you know, I, I'll be interested, and I, I'm not sure if it's ever public knowledge or not, but I'll be interested to see what the what the ICC um, rankings are or ratings are on the, all of these pitches because I know it was something we're, we're waiting on bated breath last year at the MCG to see what the, the rating of that pitch was going to be because they are under under some sort of pressure. Um, it'll it still for mine should be should be looked at again because I, I thought they might have probably slightly overbaked that wicket a little bit. There might have been a little bit too much left in the M, MCG wicket. It'll be interesting to see you know how far this game goes, um, how the the SCG wicket is is rated or ranked as well. So I'll just be interested to see what those rankings or ratings look like compared to previous years. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. I mean, and the, the other one I want to ask you about was Cameron Green, and I presume you won't put down his success this summer compared to last where he didn't take a wicket uh, for the test team uh, completely down to the pitches. But um, he, he looks to be doing something different. What, what can, you, can you kind of put your finger on anything and why he's become so much more dangerous um, this summer? Oh, I think he's more consistent. I, I think he's. I think I loved what he's done with his angles as well. He's used his angles really well to left-handers and right-handers. He's got around, been around the wicket a lot, hasn't he? To the to the left-handers and um, he's. We had a look at it today. He's bowling a little like a, a fraction. It's like a kilometre or a mile an hour quicker than he was last year. He's getting more bounce. I think that's a, that's a reflection of the wickets that were played on. Also, both of those things, when you think about them, being a fast bowler yourself. You're bowling a little bit quicker and get a little bit of extra bounce. Generally, generally probably means you're more confident in yourself as well. And you know he's played a lot more games now. He's he's not leaking runs. He's challenging batters. He's taking wickets. So as far as his bowling's concerned, he should be as as confident as he's probably ever been in his life. You know, you know, outside of what he's done in first class cricket, but what he's done in um, you know with the baggy green cap on this summer with the ball has been just brilliant. So um, yeah, I, I love you know once he. The confidence that he's now got with the ball, uh, you've only got to look at the way that he starts his spells as well. He always starts really well. That's the, that's the thing for a young bloke. His pace is over 140. He's on the money. He's, you know, he's running and banging the wicket hard first ball. That's a sign of someone that's confident, confident in himself. If he can take that and transfer that across to his batting and start his batting in the same manner, being confident and backing himself, then that's when we're going to see the real emergence of Cameron Green. He might also want to hammer the stumps in as hard as they were when he clean bowled Ben Stokes today. Have you? I mean, I think everyone's asked everyone this question today, but I'll ask it of you anyway. Have you ever seen that before? Not, not any, not anywhere like that. I mean, that you, you can see the stump actually busy 
visibly move and vibrate and rattle. You see the the bale sort of goes backward and forward across the top of the groove as well. Um, but for it to def- deflect as much as it did, and I was on, I was actually on air at the time, and um, when I heard it, I couldn't understand why he kept appealing. I, I thought, I, I'm saying to my mate, it's bold. He, he obviously can't see that the bale's falling off, and he, he kept appealing and appealing and appealing. And then it was given out, and I'm like, hang on, that how's it? How's the umpire to give it out? Why does he put his finger up? Obviously, he, was, he thought it hit the pad, and then, yeah, I mean that it was, a, a, you know, it was 10% of the ball that actually hit, about 10% of the ball that actually hit the stump. It was, it was remarkable. So, um, yeah, I guess it was about time England got a bit of a, a rub of the green. They haven't had much go their way this series, but you know, today was one of those days where the Australians put an unusual amount of catches down. A lot of them were tough ones, obviously. They had that one with Stokes, and then the wicket off the no ball was Starkey last night. Um, so they finally had a little bit go their way and they still find themselves, you know, so far behind in this game. Well, well let's finish on a, on a drop catch and a bit of a, um, I mean, it didn't mean a whole lot in the end because it was off a mead who I think offered two or three chances in his short stay, but Alex Carey kind of dropped that one off Mitchell Stark. It, it was quite similar to the one he didn't go for in Adelaide off the same bowler, same over the wicket angle. Is there a footwork kind of thing that he's battling with or maybe his relationship with David Warner at first slip there? Yeah, once again, I was on air today when he put that one down. And I, and I, the first thing I did was bring up the comparison with that one in Adelaide because I was quite critical in Adelaide that he didn't go for it. And because it ended up on first slip's left hand, then, you know, the, the rule of thumb always is if it's to the to first slip's left, it's always the, the keeper's catch. And I'm not one for, you know, I don't mind – not criticising, sorry, critiquing batting technique, but I'm probably not one for critiquing wicket-keeping technique too much. But the only thing that we talked about today was with that angle that Stark's creating, the fact that Stark hasn't really swung the ball back into the right hand as much, you know, maybe could carry even maybe start a fraction wider than where he's starting position now, therefore pushing Warner even wider away from him. The, the, The wider you push that first slip away, basically means that Kerry knows he has to go. And today, again, it looked like he was in two minds, whether he should or shouldn't go. He ended up going late. And if anything, he ended up going too far. He hit him sort of more towards mm. the, you know, the heel of the hand than it did up towards the end of his finger. So he actually just went a bit, a bit, um, a bit too far with his hand, which means, says to me, that he's just unsure where, where Slip is and what, what he should and shouldn't go for against left armers. So, you know, just thinking back to his first class, he probably hasn't kept too much left arm fast bowling in his in his life either. Mitchell Stark obviously in the one day is where a lot of the time you're not worrying about a slip being there. You just there's no slip, so you probably just have to go most of the time. So it's pro- it might just be something that he does have to look at and and have a bit of a think about and see if he can come up with a bit of better technique to make those catches to his right that little bit easier for him. Yeah, with all due respect to Nick Winter, I think um, I think Starkey might have him covered for uh, covered for pace. Um, really appreciate your time as always, Ricky. Good on you, mate. I'll talk, I'll talk to you tomorrow. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.